I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch the baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottom and cans turn blue when your beer is cold and that way you know it's time to chill hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider, brought to you by Scout Logistics. Matthew Collar here with Jeremiah Searles for some Tuesday morning left guard. And yes, Jeremiah, we have a new sponsor. We have a the show. sponsor in the love, house. Yeah, I love how you just lit up when I said Dude, that. I, yes. I, was wait, I try and like mimic the intro every time, and you threw a curveball at me. Yeah, that's right. Scout I love Logistics, it. We're in. Our, Shout our out friends. Scout Logistics. So um, let's get right into your reaction to the Super Bowl because mm. mine is just holding a thumbs down. <laughs> but, and I know, I know. I was just waiting for this. As soon as the Super Bowl is over, I was like, Jeremiah's going to tell me why they need to draft a tackle. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You're going to be that guy uh, when we start this show. So go ahead, go ahead. Tell me, tell me this is why they need to draft a tackle. I mean- Offensive line's important. I don't care if you have Superman back there, also known as Patrick Mahomes. If he doesn't have time to throw the football, it doesn't matter who his wide receivers are. It doesn't matter any of that because if he goes set hut and at one point in time is literally looking behind him because he thought he was going to get hit in the back of the head, it doesn't matter. And I feel bad for our guy, Mike Remmers. I mean, the dude started as a backup guard in Kansas City this year, had to go to right tackle when Mitchell Schwartz got hurt for the year, played pretty well at right tackle for majority of the year. Really didn't hear a lot about him, which is a good thing. And then Eric Fisher rips his Achilles like fourth quarter AFC. So like, hey, Mike, uh, left tackle? <laughs> and Mike right. being the guy, he's going to say, yeah, absolutely. And he went against Jason Pierre-Paul, who's absolutely on a mission, Shaq Barrett. I mean, they knew there was blood in the water. And they that D-line had their ears pinned back from the word go. And Wiley playing right tackle as a right guard didn't go well. And it just goes to show you that offensive line is so important when it comes to winning championships because great defensive lines, if you look back in the few uh, Super Bowl winners, have had incredible defensive lines or incredible individual performances off of defensive lines. So you have to have a counter to that, which is a great offensive line. The other thing, too, here is that 
offensive and defensive line play are impacted by many other things. And this would be my takeaway from reviewing the Super Bowl is, you know, when you watch it at first on TV, you know, I'm eating chicken wings or whatever. But then, you know, when I've gone back and watched through the tape and read everybody's analysis and so forth, my takeaway is just how much we look at offensive and defensive line and we say, okay, well, they didn't play well or they played really well. But the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, the quarterback, all all these things are factors when it goes into how you play. And I think the defensive line of Tampa Bay, well, very, very talented, is kind of an all-star team on their defensive line. But Todd Bowles and his role in what happened there, uh, I, I think can't be underscored because mm-hmm. usually – they made up for the offensive line shortcomings with quick game, but the quick game was not there and it was either not well designed or it was really well covered. And I'm surprised. And I saw Kurt Warner tweet about this too. So I thought, Oh good. It's not just me. I'm surprised that Mahomes didn't have more answers. It seemed like they really wanted to hit on big shots, but against the bills, they did all underneath, underneath, underneath and move the ball. But it seemed like the speed of the Tampa Bay secondary and the linebackers was able to take away a lot of that quick game. So it was a combination of a lot of things that allowed, uh, you know, that offensive line of Kansas City to be dominated the way that they were. And I think one thing to talk about, too, is the fact that Kansas City just didn't play well. Yeah. Um, I mean, so many times it's really easy to point fingers as far as like, why is something not working or why is this not doing that or why is that not doing that? But in reality, it is simply the fact that Kansas City just didn't play well. They really struggled as far as when it came to offensive, like, just I'm trying to think of the word congruency, I guess. I mean, the second play of the game, they go from it looks like a read option, and Patrick Mahomes pulls it to go throw the football, and you got two receivers just running like stop routes, but not even looking back at the ball. Mm-hmm. And you see like McCole Hardman comes on a end around, and it's a blitz, it's a perfect call, and Mahomes whistles it to him, and he's not even looking back at the ball. It just they weren't in sync offensively, mm-hmm. which is something we haven't seen from them really at all this year. And so to see that from them on the biggest stage is disheartening. But I do think, I mean, Todd Bowles versus the Eric Bieniemy, I mean, matchup, if you want to go the game within the game, Bowles literally was like, okay, offensive line struggling. We're going to, hey, I guarantee he challenged those front four for two weeks. Like, we're not blitzing. Get home. Get there. Golston. Barrett. Sue, Pierre Paul, make the money that we give you and get home so that we can just sit here in two deep, sometimes three deep safeties and just let us do our thing. And I think that was the biggest thing is you can't do that to Patrick Mahomes because usually when you select that, he just picks you apart. But when he can't sit back there and run around for five, six, seven seconds and let Tyree Kill just run as far as he can down the field, then it's not going to matter. And so I think that they had a great game plan. And, I mean, it also didn't help that Mahomes did some Superman things, but some of his guys let him down with some drop balls, which hasn't happened in the playoffs up to that point. Right. Uh, And so when you're playing, when you're already the best player – and you're playing the other best player in terms of quarterbacks, then it's going to be on, you know, it's great coaching staff versus great coaching staff. It's going to be on what weakness is taken advantage of, mm-hmm. who out coaches who. And, and that's what, you know, from a schematic standpoint, made this very, very interesting to pick apart in the, 
you know, kind of, I was very disappointed. Anyone who listened to the post Super Bowl podcast felt my sadness of just like not a good Super Bowl and one of the most disappointing I can remember. But to pick it apart was really interesting to see, okay, now how did this happen? It wasn't just one team was clearly better than the other. I think when Kansas City played Buffalo, it was one team was better than the other. And I'm not sure what Buffalo could have done to beat them that day. But in this case, Tampa Bay is not so much otherworldly better. It seemed to be just a lot of other factors. And you make a great point on how Kansas City, it wasn't just Mahomes that wasn't able to execute. And it wasn't just the offensive linemen who weren't. It was the receivers. It was a little bit of the turf. Like guys were falling down. And, you know, Travis Kelsey had an open route and he fell down. And also it was matchups that helped the Tampa Bay Bucks. I mean, having a Devin White and his speed and Levante David and his experience I think it says a lot about why, I mean, if we're applying it to the Vikings, Mike Zimmer wants to keep Eric Hendricks and Anthony Barr because push comes to shove when you play a lot of great teams that have good tight ends and use the middle of the field a lot. That speed and that intelligence makes a huge difference. So in a lot of ways, it was just the exact right matchup for the Bucks with the guys that Kansas City leans on. Also, I think it was something about Kansas City's almost unwillingness to run the football. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It really, and, and I know I run the ball guy, and granted, they haven't really had to run the football as much as they wanted to this year because they have Patrick Mahomes, but it was almost like they were so worried about the offensive line that they refused to run the football. When they're really, if you look back at some of the run plays that they had, there was pretty decent success going mm-hmm. up on the run game. Alaire had some good runs out there, and so it was kind of like, okay, yeah, I know you fell behind, but there was definitely moments where it was like, keep running the footballs, keep them going, get those werewolves, like, don't let them just pin their ears back, make them respect something else in the run game, and so that was really weird to see, and then also the the physicality on the flip side of Tampa Bay's run game. They just lined up in the same formation. They went two tight ends right, two tight ends left, and just ran double team, or we call it duo, where you put three doubles across the board, get to the Sam Mike Will, and you make it one-on-one with a corner or a safety on the outside, and Leonard Fournette won that battle a lot, and then all of a sudden you just do that four or five times, and then you throw one counter off of that exact same formation. You pull a guard to the strong side. All the linebackers and safety dive inside because they think it's that same duo A-gap play, and then there's the big touchdown run out the side, and that's just a sign of, again, good coaching by Leftwich and those guys over there of understanding how to use complementary football in the running game as well as the passing game. And I, I've studied the run game since the Tampa Bay. I went back and watched all their runs, and it is as simple as it gets in the run game. There was nothing fancy, no big end arounds, like none of that. It was just downhill, downhill, downhill counter. And I think that, again, we can overanalyze of how fun and all over the place Kansas City's offense is with the motion stuff. But at the end of the day, if you can just line up and beat the man's ass in front of you in the run game, you're going to win a lot of football games. I think it also speaks to game sort of, not script is the wrong word, but like how game situations impact how you can play. And so Tampa Bay playing from ahead is kind of perfect for Tampa Bay. Not that I think Tom Brady can't come back in a game, but when they're playing from ahead, 
think I saw that Brady had something like, I don't know, 40 or 50% of his passes were on play actions, which isn't mm. even the usual for Tom Brady. He's usually sitting in the shotgun and picking you apart. But in yeah. this case, you're playing from ahead. Now you're making it even harder by having success in the run game, being able to run the play actions. And now he's finding wide open wide receivers. And now it's almost like a sort of Kirk Cousins type of situation where the Vikings, when they get ahead, are very hard to beat because they have Delvin Cook and they have all the play actions that they run and playmakers that they can get the ball. And Tampa Bay kind of needed that to happen. So on both sides of the ball, they were just flat out the better team. I mean, their offensive line was able to handle Kansas City. And I think when Chris Jones started throwing punches, you knew like they're they're nervous. There's you know, they know that they're not the better team here. And Tyron Matthews getting in people's faces and the wrong people's faces. There's certain people you don't poke the bear, and Tom Brady's (laughs) one of them. Exactly, exactly. To me, that was entirely I don't think they're coming back. I, I think that they are panicking because they know they're not the better team today and it's Tampa Bay and they win the Super Bowl and Tom Brady's the GOAT and all those things. But um, it's funny. I don't know how many games I've ever watched for Super Bowls that have actually been more interesting to talk about after than mm-hmm. they were to watch. And because to watch, it was relatively miserable. But then to figure out, well, what can we really take away from this has been kind of interesting. Yeah, I think that the the hype leading up to this game was one of the higher that I've been a part of because it is the storylines were you could look at any any position, any side of the ball and the matchup and the storyline was great, right? I mean, Tom Brady versus Mahomes, Leonard Fournette versus Alaire, Chris Jones versus Ryan Jensen, right? I mean, Mike Remmers versus Jason Pierre-Paul and and the list goes on and on and especially you talk about um uh, the guy, our guy up there in Minnesota, Winfield Jr. and Tyreek Hill and what Tyreek Hill did for them. So the lead up to this was so high that I kind of almost anticipated it the other way of Kansas City might blow this team out. Yeah. And yeah. I think that a lot of people anticipated that, but I just kept telling myself, like, you can't you can't vote against the GOAT, man. Like, you just, <laughs> you just can't count this guy out. I mean, if you think about the resume of when he got there, he shifts over to the NFC. He goes through... Breeze, Rodgers, and then beats Mahomes. And you're just like, how does this guy just continue to do it? And so I think the biggest that like takeaway from this Super Bowl for me is you can you can neglect and say, well, Tom Brady had all these weapons around him. And I've gotten arguments with a ton of people on Twitter. Cody Ashy, our guy, we had a huge blow up about it. Like, is he the greatest athlete of all time? And people say no, but for me – how you define the greatest athlete of all time for me is the fact that he can take 52 other individuals from 52 different walks of life and elevate every single one of them to a championship caliber. This was a nine and seven team last year. And he found a way to elevate every single person on that team that was there or came from other teams to a Super Bowl championship caliber team. That's what I think makes him so dang special too, though. Seven and nine last year. Seven and nine, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and also I think, you know, one of the things that, is hard to figure out. And I love statistics. You know this. I'm always looking for, uh, yeah, right? All the different things that could tell me information about what's going on. So I'm diving deep into numbers and things. One thing that I think is hard to quantify is how a quarterback impacts his defense. And I know that sounds weird, but with Tom Brady, you look through his defenses, and last year with Tampa Bay, they had all the same players 
who all played relatively the same. They were good. They were talented. And yet they ranked something like 25th in points allowed because their quarterback was throwing it to the other team all the time. <laughs> 30 and a- dives. Right. And average starting position matters. And the fact that Brady is always able to move the ball, the fact that he doesn't throw a whole lot of interceptions or have strip sacks or, or even sacks in general that move you back and, and change your field position, I think that that one player does impact everyone. I mean, their offensive line is fantastic. It's really good. He also threw the ball in 2.2 seconds. I mean, the, there was a chart of where, like uh, the tracking data of where Mahomes moved around. And of course, it's all over the field and Brady. And it's like Brady didn't move at all because he caught the ball and he got rid of the ball. And that's him for his entire career. It's like even when the Giants beat him a couple times, it was like, yeah, that's all you got to do is pressure Brady. Well, he figured out through his career as he got older, I'm just not going to let them pressure me. And mm-hmm. it's it's really incredible. He's got a lot of offensive linemen paid for that, too, that then go to yeah. somewhere else and struggle. I mean, <laughs> Nate Soldier being one of the guys mm-hmm. who they got, they paid him a ton of money in the Jets, and then all of a sudden you've got a rookie quarterback back there, and it's, oh, well, 2.2 and 3.8 is a very different life. Right? <laughs> like, it just really yeah. is. And so he's done that. But, I mean, I think one thing, too, Matt, that as I'm watching this Tampa Bay team and I kind of equivalent back to, like, okay, how do we talk to it? back to Vikings a little bit is they hit on their draft picks. Mm-hmm. Like yep. they hit on them. They, they had guys that were contributing as rookies and playing at an extremely high level. I mean, Tristan Wirfs played at an all pro level majority of the year this year. You got Winfield jr. Played at a high level majority. Tyler Johnson played at a high level. You got to be able to, when you're creating these championship teams, you have your superstars, but you have to be able to draft well, because if you don't draft well and you don't have those guys, it's like you said, it's not the immediate impact. It's the two, three years down the road when you really do. But on the flip side, you can see the absolute immediate impact that it brings when you have young guns and young talent that come onto the field and play right away. And both these teams had some really young talent that was on the field playing right away for both of them. And I think that that's something to look at as you are building your team up or if you're in a rebuild or whatever. It's like, okay, we need to draft ready players, ready go plug and plays right now in order to be successful. Hey everyone, we're in the full swing of winter now and Soda Stick has you covered. If you're a hockey fan, check out the North State Icon shirts or the Mick Golden Light snowmobile designs. All of these along with great football designs like the skull hats, football state beanies and hoodies, and my favorite, the Metrodome gear. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping. Just go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. All of their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That is something that it feels like you just don't have a whole lot of control over is whether Mm -hmm. your draft picks hit or not. And so it's sort of like, well, what is the Tampa Bay model for getting to the Super Bowl? Well, have a ton of draft picks hit (laughs) and have Tom Brady. And there you go. You can win the Super Bowl. I mean, this one, this one might feel the farthest away. Like when you were playing against uh, or when you had Patrick Mahomes playing against Jimmy Garoppolo or when you had Tom Brady playing against Jared Goff, it was easy to say, well, that could be us. You improve this, you improve that, you run some play actions, you get a couple of running backs and you're good to go. 
But when Brady wins it with such a stacked team that hit on all these draft picks and then had the best quarterback, then it feels like, oh, it's a little harder to take their model. The only good news is if he decides to retire, all of a sudden the NFC quarterbacks, <laughs> if he and Breeze both walk away, look a lot lighter in terms of the competition than it would have looked you know, just a year ago. But you make a great point, and I was thinking about this the other day about just how many players – are solid to great on Tampa Bay. And it's hard to find any area where they are not. And so if you want to get back to where you're trying to go, which is NFC Championship, Super Bowl for the Vikings, that's kind of where it's got to be. It can't just be, well, well, let's see if we can kind of plug this hole with a guy and maybe hopefully this guy develops. It's like the standard is really high and there's a lot of work to be done. And that's where I wonder with this offseason, you know, I'm sure that the Vikings look at the Super Bowl champ and say, what did they do? How did they get there? Um, But if you're looking at it, then you say, we probably need a couple of years to continue to put these pieces in place because just signing a guy and drafting a guy and plugging him in, it's not going to be enough for 2021. Mm -hmm. And I I think that they should just be realistic. And I'm not even sure who they I'm talking about. Ownership, (laughs) coach, general manager, right? Fans, everyone just – be realistic about your your approach to getting to that point because it's not something where you just snap your fingers. It took years for this Tampa mm-hmm. Bay team to get to where they are. Yeah, I think that's a great that's a great point. And I think another thing that people have to understand and have to realize too is it's okay. Like there's only one team standing at the at the pinnacle at the end of every year. And we were such a nearsighted, like, well, we were just there. Like, how do we get there? I mean, so many people don't even sniff an NFC championship as a player. I mean, and I played for six years. I made the playoffs three out of my six years, but I never made it to more than one. And so just to get to the NFC championship is hard enough, let alone get to the Super Bowl. And it takes three to four years of building to get to that moment. And then sometimes you really only have the one shot and then everything blows up and you got to start all over. And now you've got other teams that now you're starting at the bottom and now they're two years into the rebuild and they're two years there. So it is just a revolving door. I mean, the Tom Brady anomaly is the absolute greatest outlier of professional sports. Yes. And so, I mean, the idea of just like, oh, you have Tom Brady, you go win a Super Bowl is like, okay, great. But there's 31 other teams that are climbing up that mountain at the same time that are all in different places. And I think that if you want to be realistic and you look where the Vikings are, you've got to say, okay, they're at the bottom of the hill. They're at the bottom of the hill starting the climb to get back up to much like it probably was in 2014, 2013, where it's like, okay, we're bad. Like, but we got, we got things, we got certain places that we can now have a vision of how we want to get there. And so it is, we've outlined it many times on this show. You get a pass rush, you get a solid offensive line and you start there. And then you start filling in pieces, like you said, upgrades, right? You can have a bunch of average players at positions and be better than you were this year. But it's like you said, how do I get to where everyone on my starting 11 on offense, defense, special teams are good to great instead of average to good. And I wonder about sometimes how that week 17 game against Detroit being seven and nine versus six and 10 changes the view of, well, hey, Tampa Bay won 11 games and we're probably only one or two games away from being a playoff team. And we were in the hunt at X point. But when you look at it through the perspective of points and the point differential, in order to be an average playoff team, the Vikings have to improve by 133 points, which is either on offense or defense. And the two years where they did bounce back, where they went from not in the playoffs to in the playoffs, like 2016 to 2017 um, and 2018, 2019, 
their improvements are actually no three times they did it. Um, but their improvements were not that much. They were not that much in points. They improved by a lot, but not 130 points. That's a lot. And so, you know, I think that when you're looking at this whole thing and how much better you need to be, um, I, I know that Mike Zimmer is going to focus on reducing the points against. They allowed 475 last year, which was way more than any playoff team. But you also have to look at, and this is a transition to Clint mm. Kubiak, you also have to look at the offensive side of this too and say, well, what gives us the best chance, though, to close that gap? Because I don't think it's impossible to be competitive, and I don't think it's impossible to be right there in the playoff race. But I do think it is if you have an average offense, because I'm, I'm not sure the defense is going to be able to carry you. It can be better, but it's not going to carry you. So tell me what Clint Kubiak can do slash front office to have better than the 11th best offense next year. Um, I think the biggest thing, if, if you're looking at it, the biggest thing is you have to become more consistent. Now, every offense loves the word consistent, right? But I'm not talking about consistently scoring. I'm talking about consistent of not going three and outs. Like we talked about Tom Brady, flipping the field position mm-hmm. because field position matters. Having an established Hey, taking three points in the red zone when we started our own tens a win. Like, but also it's it's just consistency of not turning the football over, positive plays, and not going the wrong direction. Because it's like you said, if you have to cut into that point differential, it starts on field position. Very simple part of the game. And Mike Zimmer's played the field position game his entire career as an off, as a defensive coach. I mean, I can remember in 2015 we're playing St. Louis at home and we gave them the football at overtime because we were like, your offense hasn't done much and we're going to play the field position game and with the wind. And so for me, that's the is consistency through that. Now you look, okay, how does Kubiak do that? And I think that it's kind of like what we touched on last week of when you bring new blood in is what did we do well last time and how do we develop and keep getting better off of that? We cannot stay status quo. And I think that the biggest thing is even now since it is Clint, now the language stays the same. Everything does stay the same. So it, it will be easier to implement newer things because you're not learning a bunch of new stuff. The question now becomes, what is his willingness to push new things? What is his willingness to look at things and say, hey, let's do something new with motion stuff and not have Zimmer from Almighty High strike down and say no and him just <laughs> yeah. say okay, right? I mean, how much is he willing to push back as the OC now versus just having to be like an underling under Mike Zimmer, which is going to be the biggest question this entire offseason? That's by far my biggest question. How much freedom does Clint Kubiak have? I know that Kubiak, uh, Clint, is close with Kevin Stefanski, and I think Stefanski did everything he could to push the walls out on that offense in 2019. And even though Mike Zimmer talked about loving the 2020 offense, the 2019 offense was better. And Kirk Cousins had a better PFF grade. He had a better deep passing grade in 2019. And there was a little more motion. There was a little more things being, um, you know, I think, or at least looking sort of Kyle Shanahan-y or Sean McVay-y. And they entirely used this year two tight ends. They rarely used uh, three wide receivers. And Stefanski used three wide receivers about 10% more than the Vikings did last year. And that's where I'd like to see it is to say, look, all these concepts that work and have worked for 30 years with Gary Kubiak and Mike Shanahan's offense, they work with three wide receivers too. It's just a little more dangerous. And that's not to say take Irv Smith off the field or if Kyle Rudolph is back, don't ever play those guys. It's just 
they were not super multiple in what they could do. It was like, if this works, you will have a great day. If it doesn't, it's going to be a struggle. And you'd like them under a new offensive coordinator to say, all right, why was it a struggle and what can we do? And if you're in the front office, say, hey, Clint, here's a fast human being for your number three (laughs) wide receiver. Would you like him? Can you use him? I mean, you know, someone like, and it might be too expensive, but like Nelson Aguilar is like, run real fast, buy everybody and make deep catches. They have not had that guy in, I don't know how long, or, you know, we've talked about Jarius Wright. I mean, it's just like someone capable of making plays. I think they can help Clint Kubiak be good at his job just with even one savvy signing. Right, and I think you absolutely nailed it. Like the stuff that's worked for 30 years is going to continue to work, but it's about expanding the the Tonyism of more tools in the toolbox, right? Like how can you have more stuff? And with I think that people are going to say, oh, new new coordinator, like we're going to be just the same. It's like, well, I think this can actually help in the fact, like I mentioned earlier, you're not learning everything brand new. Mm-hmm. Like yep. everything's still the same, so everything will translate. So it gives you a chance to say, okay, remember this? Cool, we're not going to re-spend two weeks installing inside zone. Because if you don't know how to run inside zone by now, just get the heck out. <laughs> and it's like now we can spend two weeks installing new stuff and wrinkles and a new scheme and then blend that all together during OTAs and camp of whatever that might look like this year. But I do think the idea of a wide receiver number three is a huge thing. And whether you find that in the draft or whether you find that in free agency, it gives coordinators confidence to take that extra tight end off the field because you can spread guys out. And it creates mismatches because if you can run the ball out of an 11 personnel set, it is really cool to be able to do things like that because you can create mismatches and the bubble screens and all that. And if you have guys like Jefferson and Thielen and guys with mismatches when they have the ball in their hands, it is helpful when you can have someone who can then fake a bubble screen and take the top off of a defense like a Tyreek Hill. So I would love to see some more of that going on in our offense, but Again, it's going to come down to consistency of not turning the football over, too, and flipping the field position as we rebuild this defense. Yeah, I checked um, 30 seconds in terms of uh, field position. Yeah. Both, like offense and defense. It matters. It really matters. I mean, making a team go 75 yards versus 50 is a huge difference. And special teams played into that, too. They've got a new special teams coordinator, and we'll see how that works out. I love out. Ficken, by the way. Yeah? Ficken's the man. He was there with me as an underling under, uh, oh, what's his name? Prefer. Prefer, yeah. And, he, I mean, he's he's going to do a ph- phenomenal job. Very detail-oriented. I think he's going to do a fantastic job, and he's going to definitely flip that special teams position around. Hey, I want to take a second to tell you about our friend. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. At Scout Logistics, and I really mean it when I say friends. They are fans of Purple Insider over at Scout Logistics, and they reached out wanting to support this show, and I want to tell you about what they do. Scout Logistics 
is just-in-time transportation for perishable, non-perishable, and fragile freight from source to door. And if you're wondering what that means exactly, well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they're the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America, and we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? They can ship perishable, non-perishable, oversized, or fragile goods, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, check out ScoutLogistics.com or call 855-217-2688, extension 232, to connect with them directly to find out how Scout Logistics can minimize risk, overperform, and go the extra mile for your company. This is the thing about um, deciding how you're uh, feeling about a hire where you just don't really know. I mean, mm-hmm. when it comes to even like Clint Kubiak, there are people who are saying, oh, nepotism and it's Gary's kid. And, and yeah, like, okay. But Brian Schottenheimer, we'll talk about Marty in a second, has had a ton of success in his career. Kyle Shanahan has become one of the best in the entire NFL at coaching. And so I don't know. I don't know how Clint is going to do. And you know, I guess we'll, we'll find out. I just think from the Vikings perspective, if you give him the tools, then he's got a shot. And then we can see if he's actually good at this or not. Um, and the same thing is uh, for Ryan Ficken, where it's like, yeah, I don't know if the guy can coach special teams. I mean, you you played with him, so you say he's good. All right, great. But you can't have a million guys who have never played football before at this level just kind of run around with their heads cut off. Or like a, a punt returner who was decent at Miami, but you know, in the NFL, it's just all moving too fast for him. These things, um, I think – when you look at how much is the coaches, how much is the players, you usually lean a lot more toward the personnel. And I, and I do too, even with the offense, like the personnel, it's got to get a little better or you're not going to be able to push that from 11th to really, really good. Um, all right. So let's wrap up on a love to see it, hate to see it. And I'll just start with hate to see it. So we could talk about him. Marty Schottenheimer passes mm. away. His a football life documentary is absolutely worth watching. I loved it. And I think it's really unfortunate when someone who's very, very successful gets defined by didn't win a ring. Like, I hate this for Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley was unbelievable. And it's like, well, you know, he's one of those guys that didn't win a championship. Marino, the same thing. And uh, it's just unfortunate because Marty Schottenheimer is one of the greatest coaches of all time. Yeah, and I hate that. I hate that metric too. It's like, well, he didn't win a ring. It's like, you know how hard it is to like win a ring. Like, it's not easy. Like, it really isn't easy. And so many things, like we just mentioned, have to go right on a team sport to win a ring. Now, if it's an individual sport, very different. Like Tiger Woods, yes, arguably one of the greatest all time because of his individual sport. But you look at team sports, it's like it's not easy, people. It's so many factors. You can have the greatest team on turf, and then three weeks into the season, you have five injuries, and you're awful. Like, it's just everything's hard, so that's a tough one. For me, the, the hate to see it for me is everyone that's like, oh, Mahomes sucks. <laughs> right? Like It's just like, are you guys stupid? Yeah. Like yeah. People that are just all over Twitter, like, Mahomes crumbled. He can't rise. He did it. It's like, that dude is amazing, like literally amazing at some of the stuff that he was able to do. That throw where he's parallel with the ground and he throws a ball that hits the receiver in the face, and if it's a spear, it would have killed him, (laughs) is unbelievable. Or the one where he's on the corner, he throws it to the corner of the end zone and keeps it in bounds. I mean, 
what he is able to do, and he's having surgery on his foot, was remarkable. And so everyone that's like, oh, Mahomes this, Mahomes that, and stop comparing him to Brady. There's no reason for that. There's no reason for him to get compared to Brady right now. Let them both be great, and then when the dust settles in 20 years, then we can compare the two. But I just hate seeing, like, if a player doesn't play well on the biggest stage, it's immediately because the moment was too big or everything. It's like, he had a tough day. It's going to happen. It's part of the sport. But get off your soapbox of Mahomes isn't very good, what we all thought he was, because he is absolutely incredible. Think of the people that let down Patrick Mahomes. He was let down by his receivers. He was let down by his coaches. He was let down by his offensive line. And also there's another team on the field is the other part of it too, right? But yeah, I mean, I thought that his wizardry in this game was really on display where what it said to me is the threshold for that to matter, all that stuff to matter is this high. Like it has to be Brady on the other side. It has to be an all-star defensive line. It has to be an incredible coaching staff on the other side and all of his offensive linemen had to get hurt and all his receivers have dropped the ball in order for it to take down Patrick Mahomes. He's, that great um and some of those plays you just thought he gave them a chance to stay in the game even when he was there was nothing there and he was running on his injured foot which he kind of looked like um you know when when there's a bunch of puddles in the rain and someone's like <laughs> sort of like he's trying not to hurt his foot and he's sort of dancing for you know eight yards or whatever I thought it was kind of incredible to see what he did and yeah Uh, I'm guessing he'll be back. But I felt the same way about Cam Newton in 2015. It's like your team got outplayed by a great team, and then at the end it ends up being Cam's not a winner. Like, come on, man. Come on. Uh, uh, That's too much. Uh, But I will say love to see it is um, Byron Leftwich at the helm of the Tampa Bay Bucks offense. One of my favorite players, I know he didn't have a great career, but <laughs> what he did at Marshall playing with the broken leg where the offensive linemen were carrying him, I always wanted him to succeed. And I know he's always a step behind a little bit for the Jaguars, but I, for whatever reason, loved those Jaguars from Mark Brunel and then on to Byron Leftwich. Always wanted to see him succeed. He didn't really as a player, but seeing him succeed as an offensive coordinator was great. And let me tack on, I hate to see it with this, mm. hate to see it, people naming coaches before the Super Bowl is over. I mean, mm. how about we interview Todd Bowles? How about we interview Byron Leftwich instead of those guys being caught up trying to win the Super Bowl? I think that's really unfair to the coaches on the Super Bowl teams. I, would, I completely agree. I think it's unfair to them, and it, I just think it's the pressure that gets put on by the public. And for whatever reason, it's like this big rush to fire everyone the second the season ends and you're not in it anymore. And then you're like, well, we're falling behind in free agency, right? And it's like this whole pressure thing. It's like, dude, let these coaches, let the season officially end mm-hmm. and then start making moves. There's plenty of time between now and the combine. There's plenty of time between now and draft day. Like, there's there's plenty of time to get a situation, get a staff. So I completely agree with you there that it just shouldn't be such a huge rush my love to see it is the fact that florida is still pure anarchy (laughs) and like everyone was like no one's wearing a mask and i was like dude they won the super bowl like come on well let's relax a little bit like i understand like everyone's like oh super spreaders like these dudes have been getting covid tested every single day for the since like march i have buddies that are back here in nebraska i was like it was horrible like literally talk about the season how terrible it was let these guys have their moment let these guys have the ability and so my love to see it is just watching the family members with like teams this year that you haven't been able to see the the family kisses after the game or the hugs or the waves like to see that brought back into the game of football at the end of the season here was very encouraging for me because 
at the end of the day, that's why we as players do it. We do it for our families. We do it for our wives, our parents, our friends. Like, celebrate with us. And to see the Jensen, Ryan Jensen's little kid tackle him on the field or Tom Brady with his family up there on the podium and his kids and everyone, it just brought back this, like, normalism of football for me of why these players are doing it because so much this year it felt like fake football sometimes we were watching empty Mm -hmm. stadiums and just loving that the fact that Florida allowed that to happen and the NFL allowed that to happen I thought was really cool and I hope that it starts moving back towards that in 2021 because again that's why we play the game we do it for money and it's a living yes but ultimately it's to share the experience with our friends and family well the effort that it took for the NFL to have as safe of a situation as they could possibly have was like Herculean effort all right. season long, really, but especially in the Super Bowl, they had to they had to pull a barber away from haircutting at one point because of the test. So they really were testing everybody and doing everything they possibly could. Um, and I think it is a credit to how much the NFL did take it seriously. After at first, it didn't look like they were going to. It looked like they were going to take the Ivan Drago if they die they die route. And then, <laughs> but then they really got it together especially after the Tennessee uh, issue early in the season and were able to do that. The thing that I found was funny in relation to that was when you looked at it on TV, everyone went, oh, my God, those stands are packed. What are they doing? And it was cardboard Cardboard people. Cardboard people. So I thought that was great. It was just like – because they had said it was only going to be X number of people and there's a lot of, um, you know, like frontline workers who they've brought there and who have had the vaccine already and all that sort of stuff. But when you looked at it from the wide view, it's like, oh, my God, that is really pet. No, it's not. It's it's cardboard people. So anyway, well, a super fun season for us. And uh, we won't be doing every single Tuesday. You're going to live your life. But we will check in mm-hmm. as things happen. And at some point, I'm promising it's going to happen. Alex Boone is going to join us on this. Yes. This he's on, he's, he rides Peloton with me all the, every morning. Does he? That's oh, yeah. Right. Okay, I, great. Get, make sure you set up. I beat. I have seen that you are amazing at this. Jeff Schwartz tweeted about it. Uh, Yeah, well, we ride together. It was me, Schwartz, Cole Kublik, ESPN Booger. We all ride together, and at the moment, I am the undisputed champ. So that that is just throwing that out there. Impressive. Well. I've been playing more video games, so there's that. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll get Alex on, and yes. all of your all of your work has been invaluable to this, and uh, I really appreciate it, Jeremiah. Hey, I appreciate it. It was so much fun. Appreciate everyone that's followed me on Twitter from the show and interacted with me. I appreciate all you guys so much. It's been an absolute blast this year, and I can't wait to jump on here after the draft and say I told you so <laughs> as we take a left tackle.